Week 10 is behind us. We're officially into the double-digit weeks of the NFL season. And many thought Week 10 would be a lower-scoring fantasy affair with some of the best fantasy offenses like the Chiefs, Dolphins, and Eagles on by. But people forgot about the true number one overall quarterback in the NFL. Pat Fryer Helmo. <laughs> Anita Handjob. Fix your sight. Jamar. Alpha play chase. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Kadarius Tony? You can't handle the heat. He looks like we're finally at this point. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I knew what you were going to say, Darren. I couldn't let it stand. I'm I'm guessing that uh, that was your way of telling me the cold open was going a little too long there. <laughs> no, that was I know you're going to talk about Doc Prescott. I was going to say CJ Stroud. Oh, okay, so I prematurely cut you off. <laughs> uh no, CJ Stroud is him, man. That was that was probably one of my uh the, the games I've enjoyed watching the most. I mean, it's it's been 2 weeks now where I, I'm just like watching CJ Stroud. I'm like, this dude is such a cool customer. Like, I feel like uh, you see this with lots of young quarterbacks or like they look good and then something happens that kind of shakes them. And it's just like the wheels immediately fall off. Like Tyson Bajant sticks in my mind as like, I, I want to say it was two weeks ago. He's having a good start to the game. And then just one bad thing happened. It was like the dude forgot, not only did he forget how to play quarterback, like he forgot how to like walk or like use his body as a human. Like it sent him into a spiral. Yeah, absolutely. Which does not add, not happen, not happen to CJ Stroud. No, CJ Stroud cool as could be. So before, uh, before we get into it, I do notice a new background uh, away with the old background. And uh, do you want to talk about that at all? Uh, I mean, I, I guess I can briefly touch on it. So my my content will not be over at Spike Week anymore. Um, don't have anything definitive yet. I mean, I do have my Substack, but if you if you subscribe over there, I really don't plan on putting out a ton of written content over the next few months. I mean, if you want to catch anything that I decide to share, it'll probably be on there. Um, and I I may do something uh, else, but uh, I'll, I'll certainly keep the people posted on that front all right fair enough fair enough um so let's uh let's get into our uh, our first chart here uh, i'm gonna add it to the stage and this is our qb passing efficiency and and rushing production chart and so on the horizontal axis we've got um adjusted yards per attempt which is like normal yards per attempt but rewards touchdowns and punishes interceptions and then vertical axis is touchdown rate, and size of the bubble corresponds to uh, their rushing yards per game. And I guess what what sort of sounds that I, I guess we say this every week. This uh, chart is it's pretty stable, right? I don't see too much movement here, but I do notice that uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, his sort of like run bad in terms of fantasy production definitely stands out as a sort of sore thumb where you can see he's obviously playing really well but just has not been getting the touchdowns that you'd expect with his uh yardage production yeah i think uh i think what we need at this point from lamar to have like truly elite fantasy games is 
we got we to gotta run into some really stout run defenses that just refuse to give up those goal line touchdowns because, like, Justice Hill had a rushing touchdown get called back on a hold. Gus Edwards then punched in the rushing touchdown. And it's not that Lamar's not throwing touchdowns. It's just that the offense is getting enough touchdowns siphoned away from the running game that Lamar's not delivering those big weeks as consistently as you would want him to. I still, you know, he, he's pretty much perennially a, a good play in fantasy. It's just, you know, all, all you need is that touchdown variance to go his way. Uh, there is a new a new challenger approaches on the QB chart. We've got Kyler Murray back from his first game. And, you know, the, the rushing wasn't, you know, quite as high as like Lamar's, for example. But the guy's, you know, playing his first NFL game in a year coming off ACL. And he looks pretty good. Um, and I'm actually, I'm really interested in that matchup as a whole this week. You know, we see CJ Stroud, we, we talked about how prolific he's been so far in his young career. And we saw it with Joe Burrow where Stroud is, is definitely good enough to where he's going to push the other quarterback to have to throw more and, you know, create these fantasy friendly environments. So I'm pretty interested in Kyler with one week to shake the rust off now against CJ Stroud in a dome. I think that's a really interesting matchup this week. And both those guys are, you know, reasonably cheap in the different formats, you know, be it DFS or be it, you know, battle royales on underdog. So I, I kind of like that game. Uh, so, and, and obviously it, it's, Sort of obvious, but worth pointing out, Color Murray, 0% touchdown rate in a one-game sample size. Like, he, it looks, it really looks like he's in the bottom lower section of this chart, but you got you got to cut him some slack on that touchdown rate. Um, I, I did, I, I did see that he had, he had a couple of big plays where he was, and I, I think he had one run where he was clocked at a, a very high max speed. And I, I was sort of surprised by that. Uh, given the ACL return, I thought that the um, my my expectation was that the rushing stuff was going to be severely limited in the first couple of games back, but that that doesn't seem to be the case. It it, it definitely feels like rushing production is still very much on the table for Kyler Murray and uh, the rest of the way, which has has got to be. I think that's a big part of his fantasy value. So that if you I. The way I I normally drafted him this offseason was sort of late in Superflex drafts. So I'm definitely encouraged by that. Yeah, the way I was normally drafting Kyler this offseason was that I was not. Uh, so it, it was uh, seeing him look so good when he came back. Now I'm, you know, I'm looking at these Mac Jones teams where it's like, man, I probably could have had Kyler at similar prices to Mac Jones in a lot of these drafts and like, yeah, Mac Jones delivered maybe two weeks for me where I plugged his score in and was really happy to have him. But uh definitely makes you think about like the upside of the quarterback. And I know that Pat talked about this this summer of like, you know, backloading, weighting the back end of the season heavier, which is why he was lower on Sam Howell. Um, but it, it really, you know, makes me think about uh, reevaluating how I looked at a quarterback like Kyler coming off of injury. Probably not someone I should have zero of, um, but I, in general, he was definitely I... a risk-on player where you're getting a severe discount because of an injury. But that injury introduces risk, and um, you, I mean, 
I feel like for every player we, we see coming back off an injury and they're smashing, then you ha- you have another player who the first year back, they're not quite as good. They're, they're not quite as productive. So I, I think it, it's worth keeping in mind that the injury introduces risk and that when you're taking a uh, when you're taking on the risk of a currently injured player, you really do want the discount. You 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 I think you need to be very careful about paying like the prior price for somebody who's injured, even if they are sort of projected to be back. And I, I'm not talking about like just normal uh, one month injury, two month injuries. I'm 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 talking about the, the big injuries like ACLs and 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 injuries of that seriousness. Yeah, certainly agree with you there that you want to be price sensitive. Understand, I think I think really it's still this is going to be an edge in basketball for a long time, but it's understanding and appropriately pricing that risk. And we actually right, we that's the whole game, right? Yeah. That's the whole. We had a kind of interesting conversation about this in uh, the Shift Chasing Discord channel earlier this morning where people were talking about like how much does a player hurt you in, in given rounds if they bust. And I thought about using um, the roster agnostic advance rate metric to kind of put more of a, a measurable value on that so that people understood like, hey, uh, like I, I was DMing with 2-4 offsuit and we were talking about mm-hmm. it. And last year, for example, the downside deviation for roster agnostic advance rate in the fir- through the first two rounds was about 6% to your overall advance rate, which is pretty massive. It's like a 40, yeah. you know, um, you're, you're going to really be hurting your teams. If you had a, if you had a player that was an underperforming player in those first two rounds, you were getting crushed. But whereas if you look at like the later rounds, it doesn't do, it doesn't move the needle at all, you know? So really the, the actual risk of taking Kyler is just the opportunity cost of like those dart throw players that you'd be taking at the skill positions, like, you know, wide receiver and running back later. Um, so that's something that I don't think people are, are appropriately. So hold on. You're saying that at what round does a bust like become not irrelevant, but at a, a, a like, a, does it become, eh, who cares? So what? Yeah. Just being able to put more of like a quantifiable measure. Okay. Like okay. That. That's still sort of, in, in, the, in the works, that's a question that's currently w- will be answered. It's basically, I mean, it's done. The data is out there, too, if someone wants to do the work for me. <laughs> but but all the roster agnostic advance rate stats from last year, and then you literally can, like, rip my code and, and do it again for BBM4 uh, once BBM4 is resolved, um, or at least the regular season is resolved. But uh, if you run that again, get the roster agnostic advance rate for players and then just bucket them into like the two round bucketing, you know, more, mm-hmm. more or less, that'll be fine. You know, and, and then right. you Something can, can figure do a out. Table. Exactly. And then you can figure out, hey, if you have a player that busts in the first two rounds, it's about a minus 6% to your advance rate. It's pretty serious. You get a guy that busts in, you know, the 12th round, it's like less than a minus 1% to your advance rates. Who cares? Like, right. Sweet, and and the actual takeaway that is, is don't go for safety in the late rounds because what you're actually what your risk of bust if you bust there it doesn't hurt you not at all so, yeah it, it's literally or it does hurt you but not not in a serious way so the you only, yeah the sure only to- way it hurt you is that you you picked the wrong guy for like you had an opportunity cost of this was a roster slot that you'd love to have occupied by one of these big hits which can deliver 
a right. majorly outsized boost to advance rate, but what you actually lose is is so little because everyone around there is not, you know, it's so rare to get someone that You didn't get Devana Chan, who's a perfect example of uh, taking a swing for offenses. And if he didn't work, it didn't hurt you. But if if he comes back and, and he give, delivers the same sort of production, well, then you you got to have Absolutely. And sorry, I, I know I derailed us there a little bit. Uh, no, so no, to- no. I, I don't I don't think we had too much to talk about on the quarterback chart. Uh, I, I I guess I had one other player where um, uh, Dobbs. Where, I was going to say Dobbs, too. So keep going. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I did. I, I did notice that his sort of his what you call it, his yards per attempt continued to actually be quite a bit higher than uh, than his Arizona numbers. So his he didn't he didn't he only got one touchdown. So his adjusted yards per attempt wasn't great, but his his actual his unadjusted yards per attempt was seven point nine, which you can sort of see that that puts him very much to the right hand side of the chart, um. And I, I, I think with the knowledge that he's playing in a much better system with better supporting cast, that uh, to, to me, that, that definitely qualifies him as sort of like a above average fantasy player and, and, and sort of like, I feel strongly that the, the skilled position of players around them can, can still perform very well, as, as they have. Yeah, uh, agree wholeheartedly with you there. Let me uh, hit you with a couple rapid-fire comparisons, and obviously we'll we'll ignore the week-to-week matchup type stuff, but just going forward rest of season, I want to ask you who you'd prefer just to roll out in a fantasy matchup. Uh, Josh Dobbs or Trevor Lawrence? Ooh. I sort of – I think it's – this is feels bold, but it does feel like Dobbs. It feels like Dobbs. I if I were gonna pick a game where Trevor Lawrence has a reminds us who he is game, this week looks like a nice spot for that. After getting their just turds push in against the 49ers, I, I kind of feel like uh this is all narrative based, so don't act on this at all. This is just stupid shit. But <laughs> I feel like Doug Peterson might want to come out, get his quarterback some confidence, let him let him throw all over the Titans this week. You know, so it, are, are the are the Jags on the main main side this week? They are, yeah. It's Jags Titans. Um, you can get, um, you can get Derrick Henry in the last round of dog bowl drafts. By the way, that feels like an interesting click. So how, how where does uh, where does Lawrence go in the kind of free? Like, he's free. he's just free, and so that might be an example of a pack, of a pocket passer where they have huge week to week and sometimes season to season volatility where. If you uh, when you want to when you want to buy the pocket passes, you want it as cheap as possible. So honestly, free Trevor Lawrence sounds pretty uh, enticing. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of lot of good freebies this week. Um, so another Josh Dobbs one, Josh Dobbs or Geno Smith? Oh yeah, definitely Dobbs. I I think Geno is like the it's actually the comp for Dobbs this year, except Dobbs is it, he runs more and yeah. um. Yeah, it's a pretty good comp, except you get the rushing upside. Okay, now we're going to get into the part of the chart where the guys have had a little bit better actual performance. Um, right. I mean, like Josh Dobbs, Baker Mayfield, I think you're still Dobbs going away, right? Yeah, 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 I think so. Okay, how about Josh Dobbs or Justin Herbert? 
Um, I think I think that should just be Justin Herbert. Like, I agree. I think it's still Herbert there, but it's like, isn't it funny that that's kind of close? <laughs> it's kind of close. It's kind of close. If somebody told me that Josh next week Josh Dobbs outscores Trevor Lawrence, I, I, I'm just not shocked at all. Yeah, but yeah, you, you have to go with Lawrence there. I think just just with the talent and, and pedigree. Yeah, uh, I don't think we need to spend very much time uh, on the quarterback chart. Uh, we can we can move on yeah. to running backs now. Yeah, I'm ready to move on as well. Oh, no, as always, I need to zoom out. Very specific, 123% zoom. <laughs> and so this is our running back snaps and usage chart. And so we've got rush attempts, routes, pass blocking, and run blocking. Uh, th th those snaps as a percentage of team overall plays. And so obviously everybody understands why rushing attempts are, are useful. And uh, with the with the routes, the idea is that with all what this sort of very elite pass catchers, that um it's sort of random when they get targeted because it's not it's usually not the play design. The 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 check down to the running back is sort of a the, the real play didn't work so now this is this is our backup plan and so you just want the guy out there running lots of routes because that gives you uh the potential for those high target games and pass blocking just useful to know who, who's trusted as a pass blocker and, and who sort of isn't and so i i have a, like I, i've been keeping an eye on kenneth walker and zach charbonnet and uh, for the last uh, couple weeks and I'm ready to call uh, the split to be a true 50-50 backfield between uh, – well, in terms of snaps anyway, it's a true 50-50 backfield between Kenneth Walker and Charbonnet, where Kenneth Walker is clearly the preferred rusher, but Charbonnet is the preferred passing down back. Like, it just hasn't been – it's not close as to who's been used running routes and, and pass blocking. And uh, – I, am, am I missing something there? No, it's really similar actually to the Derrick Henry and Tajay Spears split where they're they're on the field about an equal amount of time. Um, I feel like Spears, I, I actually would need to check the numbers on this to verify, but I believe Spears even gets a little bit more work. It's probably just because over the, a larger sample of weeks, Spears has been involved and Charbonnet's involvement is a little bit more of a recent development. Um but I, you know, the Spears Henry split is similar to the Charbonnet Walker split. Um, I think Charbonnet is like a little less valuable for fantasy than Spears is. Just he's not getting a ton of touches, but he is getting a good, healthy amount of snaps. Um, and so that's it's a little frustrating for Kenneth Walker. Um, I mean, so much of Kenneth Walker's value is still in those those home run type of type of runs, right? Where he's breaking a yeah. big one. Um, I agree. So I don't think it moves the needle so, so much for Kenneth Walker in that, it you know, maybe it's just making his floor a little bit worse. Um, and Charbonnet, I still don't feel like if I'm in a season long league, like, are you are you ever considering starting Charbonnet? Like, unless you just have no other options? Um, no, he's not startable. So just to put some context over in, in the last four games, and this is a, the last four games where. Charbonnet has been on the field 50, uh, 56% of the time he's been on the field. 
and he's got 6.3 expected points per game. So he, he truly is getting a lot of sort of like calorie routes. And I'm not sure how much calories you burn on a running back route, but he, he, they're, they're mostly not useful snaps, which it's more of a torn in Kenneth Walker's side than it is Charbonnet getting a real workload is, is how I would see it. Well, well put. I think that's that's the best way to summarize that situation. Which is really frustrating. I was really excited about uh, Kenneth Walker's start to the year, but seeing uh, Charbonnet just, just sort of command those, uh, those routes and targets in a way that I think just caps Walker from uh, delivering a true, like, ceiling uh, season for him. It, it, it's frustrating, but is what it is. Yeah, I uh, this week made me think of uh, the this is we're, we're going to have a reference that like six people end up getting here. But it made me think of the Michael Scott quote where he's like, never under any circumstance, for any reason, do anything to anybody ever. And I really thought that applied to drafting running backs. So never under any circumstance, for any reason, no matter where you are in the draft, no matter what your team composition is, draft a running back for any reason ever is how right. this week of fantasy made me feel like why why am i spending premium capital on a running back when when there's just like i can get 30 carries from devin singletary baby and he's free <laughs> right can the contingent upside there for him has obviously been massive yeah yeah um, just it feel and i mean like look at rashad white is the second best role in the nfl and like <laughs> this guy was going in the ninth tenth round and like does Rashad and no White sign get, of giving it up. No. Does he give you anything sexy week over week? Hell no. He's going to get you 15, 20 carries on terrible efficiency, look bad doing it. But he is very adept in the passing. Like he can, he's relatively smooth in the passing game. He's not, you know, the best thing since sliced bread, but he he's functional in the passing game and they've got no reason to go away from him. And those touches are super valuable. So, I mean, yeah. Rashad White is just like the safest floor play of all time, in my opinion. Right, and he is he, he I don't he's definitely not a true uh, double double sort of player. I I don't think anyway. Um, but just just because it had the offense is, is is probably just a little bit too limited, and I don't think he has like um that big a command on touches he definitely has the command on touches but he is truly important for them in the receiving and passing game so he is sort of game script proof for sure yeah uh there's a couple guys up here in this top echelon of the chart with like elite roles that have spots they they've been yucky backs over the last couple of weeks where like the public sentiment is going to be down on them and it's reflected in their ADP on underdog you know i i definitely can see this in the market that people aren't excited to have these guys but that's both Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley both elite role like the giants have nothing to do but put the ball in Saquon Barkley's belly and you know, they're not gonna, they probably don't get into a lot of touchdown scoring situations. But I mean, damn, if you want to get 20 touches guaranteed, like no, look no further than Saquon Barkley. And, and he goes pretty late. I mean, you can, you can catch him sliding pretty far in some dog bowls. So he's interesting for sure. And then Josh Jacobs is like, 
one of the clearest examples of I, I, I feel like it's hard to even find spots like this in the NFL um, to like point this out, but motivated versus unmotivated players. Like you look at Josh Jacobs prior to the head coaching change. It was like, God, this guy is like so inefficient running the ball. He looks like he has for, you know, his entire career outside of his super efficient last season. And then these last two weeks you get Josh Jacobs, like actually he cares again. <laughs> and he's like all of a sudden running hard. And, uh, you know, they were, they were talking about, um, they're, they're drawing up the run plays that he likes. They're going in the meeting rooms every week and they're like, what, what did you like? What didn't you like? And they're keeping all the stuff he liked and getting rid of the stuff he didn't. And it's like, just that having that buy-in from your players, like can really matter. So I'm, I'm pretty interested in a guy with a really good role that seems to care now and might, you know, uh, truly a, a player with that dog in him where it could matter. You know, we're not talking about a Jerry Judy type right here. So um, my first reaction was to ask you, should Josh Jacobs be treated differently to Rashad White? Ooh. Um, they're both pretty involved in the passing game. They both have really, really good workloads. Um, wow, that's a really good one. I, I would say, like, Josh Jacobs, It, I, I think he's just a better talent. Um, and, and so, like, I'm a little bit more excited there. But I guess the offenses are both, like, leave a lot to be desired. Um, wow. that. Um, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, did, I, I, no, did, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. There. No, that, that's, a, that's a good call out. I mean, I have... Uh, at, you know, based on my dog bowl exposures, I've been drafting both of those guys pretty aggressively because um, they both go late, and I I think they both have right They both have a ceiling. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the way I I would think about it in my head is that Josh Jacobs is like not. I'm uh, sorry, Rashad White is ninety five percent Josh Jacobs. That it's I I I don't. I guess maybe Josh Jacobs is a better talent, but I don't think he's like, is he truly like, how is he above average? Is he yeah. like much above average? I, I think he's close enough to average that I don't want to call him like, I don't want to give him too much of a, like a, a boost for talent stuff. No, I, I think you're right. It's like, if he is better, how much does it even matter? You know? Cause like, I think, right. I think running back's the kind of position where it really only matters at the very extremes. So it's like, yeah, I've got this guy who might be like a C level talent at the position in Rashad White, and this guy who's like a B level talent in Josh Jacobs. And it's like, there's actually no difference to what happens on the, you know, with their production from a guy from B right. all the way down to D. Plus you know, you got to be minus. Yeah, you got to be a, an F <laughs> to to have right. it matter in the negative or an A for it to matter in the positive. So that was a great comparison. I thank you for for pointing that one out. Oh yeah, yeah. Enjoy enjoy talking about this stuff. Um, it, I think it's it's a little bit interesting, right? That uh, Alvin Kamara is sort of like sliding down, uh, sliding down the chart a little bit. It it is. Um, he still caught was it seven balls this last week. Um, was involved in the passing game, but it, it does look like they're not as excited about his rushing contribution. You know, they Jamal Williams didn't really do anything. Taysom Hill didn't have a ton of work this week, but in the past couple of weeks, it really looks like they're 
they're more looking at Taysom Hill to do the the running game part of that of that role and Kamara to be more of the passing game part. Uh, and Taysom still mixes in some for the passing game as well. So yeah, Kamara is less attractive to you know when he like he, he was in out, the, it was in the other stratosphere in terms of like expected points and and like his snap rate. And now his expected point is still good. Last two weeks, it's been around 14, 15, which is still good. Still very good for where you drafted him. But it, it's definitely down. Yeah, it's it's coming back to earth. Um, and yeah, so let's, let's think about Kamara with respect to a couple guys that are near him. Here's an interesting one. Do you want Alvin Kamara, who does nothing in the run game, but is super involved in the passing game? Or do you want Tony Pollard, who's been terribly inefficient and apparently is now phased out of the passing game, more or less. Which guy do you prefer? Um, I'm like, I I don't, I want to pass because I'm so biased. Like, I don't know how I got so biased against Tony Pollard this year, um, but I really am. And uh, I, I, I sort of think it is Alvin Kamara because um, at least, at least he's doing stuff. I, I don't. Yeah. I, I haven't really seen it. I, I, has you watch all the Cowboys games? Is is Tony Pollard doing anything? There, every he has like three or four plays a game where I'm like, that's that's the guy. Why is that? Why isn't that happening more? But for just as you're you're getting the the biased Cowboys homer takes, so here it comes. But I mean, I, I truly do try to be objective when I am thinking about the Cowboys because it's, it's in the lens of thinking about fantasy football. And I don't want any bias to, to fuck up my process there. And so with respect to Tony, what I'm, what I'm seeing as a non ball knower is the running scheme looks way shittier than last season. Like there's a lot of Tony Pollard up the middle, you know? And it's like, that's not really where he had success last year. Like we had success getting Tony Pollard to the edge and, Using his I, speed. <laughs> like, so I saw a tweet um, today that was said, Tony Pollard runs, be- his percentage of runs that were in between the the, uh, the tackles in 2022 was 42%. Something like that. that that's, that's not exact, but it's in that neighborhood. And then in 2023, it was like 58% runs between the tackles. And that that almost seems like a I'm not I'm probably not saying this right a Rorschach test, where like some people are like okay see here it is this is why he hasn't been playing well, but then I see it and I'm like, you know that fit doesn't feel like different enough for it to be causing this like dramatic decline in production and efficiency. Yeah, I, I mean I think it's probably partially the runs between the tackles and outside the tackle. But it's also that the runs outside the tackle, and, and this is where not being a ball knower really uh, hinders my analysis, but someone who is a ball knower, let, let me know, like, are, are you seeing what I'm seeing? It looks like the run the run game in general for the Cowboys is just like, there's not these big, the, the line is no, no worse than it was last season. If anything, it's better. But last season, there were lots of plays where it's like, oh, my God, it's a five-foot gap for Tony Pollard to run through. There's one defender that can make a play on him. And the whole the whole play hinges on who wins, Tony Pollard or a linebacker. It's just a 1v1. If Tony wins, it's a 40-yard house call. If the linebacker wins, he still gashed him for seven yards. You know, And you saw those all the time last season. And that's how he ended up so efficient 
I, I see those like may not even once a game. Like if I see one of those, I'm like, oh my God, that looks like last season Tony Pollard, like where he's got one guy to beat. Like, oh man, just that shoestring tackle saved a big Tony Pollard touchdown. But I felt like we got that all the time last season and we're really not seeing it now. Um, but so, that's, yeah. So here's a, um, here's a stop for you. Uh, Tony Pollard in 2023 is yards before contact 1.5. But is at what 2022 is yards before contact 1.5. Where he made a difference last year. And despite and I, I always thought the yards before contacting being being low for Pollard was like sort of a, a mini red flag because those small speedy guys, and I know he's not that small, and uh, but he, he has been like this kind of speed guy. Their yards before contact numbers are supposed to be good because one of the advantages of being fast is that you're up the field before somebody can make a play. And his uh, where he got his um where he got his production was yards after contact stuff. And it was true breaking tackles, like he had a he had a twenty two percent evasion rate, whereas this year his um his evasion rate is just ten percent. And his yards after contact is just, I went from 3.5 to 2.4. So uh, maybe maybe that's just too much being a nerd. But that, that truly, to me, points to like a player just playing worse. Yeah, I, I certainly – I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that Tony Pollard is playing worse in 2023 than he is in 2022. What I would say to add a little context to the broken tackle thing is not all evaded tackles are created equal, right? Like, for example – Last season, there were lots of evaded tackles that Tony Pollard registered where it was like a dude had an arm on him. And that's, you know, and it's like, right, he's in open space. Yeah. And that's a Tony Pollard house call. And then this season, it's like, yeah, he's evading less, but it's like, because a dude squared up on him. Like, there's, there's a linebacker in the hole and he's not evading that. Where, well, that's also, I think that's partly running back skill, though. I certainly think it could be partially running back skill. I, like being that being fast at the handoff, hitting the right hole, like or so not hitting not, not not that he's hitting the wrong hole, but being fast at the handoff and getting down the field before somebody has a, had a chance to take a step, like that that I think that's a really par- important part of the game. Hundred percent. Um, so to bring it to this week. What what are your thoughts on Tony Pollard against a really bad Carolina run defense in a game where the Cowboys are going to be heavily favored? Is this are, are we finally? I mean, I've heard a lot of uh, it's do or die week for Tony Pollard this season. Is this the real do or die? Are you just out? Are you not you're not riding the the Tony train again? And uh, well, I I guess I should self admit that I was never uh, riding the the Tony train, and uh, but. Um, let's see. So, well, I guess part of the question is how much, how much snaps is he losing? And so what's he, at? he's, uh, he's on the, he's still on the field 67% of the time since, um, if you look at since week seven and that compares to, um, 69%. So, his his last four weeks are pretty in line with his uh, his snap percentage in um, in in for the, the last four weeks are pretty similar to the snap percentage for the full year, 
And then his last game, he was about 10% lower than, um, than the full season. So I guess I have a, I, I do have a hard time buying the, the lower snap percentage. What was, was, um, what's his name? Rico Dowdle in what, how much of that was a like garbage time and, how much of that is Dowdle Dowdle seemed a little bit more involved even uh even before garbage time yeah but I don't I don't know how much of that is just like it didn't need to be garbage time for them to kind of feel secure in the game I yeah it's uh I mean they're playing the Giants so it's a tough one (laughs) right and when was their bye week when was the the week seven week seven so we're well past the bye yeah yeah I mean there can be week to week fluctuations that we try to get in the heads of these NFL coaches and, and we never will. So Tim, I, I'm going to call, I, I personally would call the, the snap difference in a, a one week aberration. So I would say he still has the role, but me personally, I'm highly suspicious that he has lost a step to me. The available data does suggest that he, he's lost a step. And with the way running back age works, where they just hit a cliff, I I think, uh, I, I I think that's where I'm at. Where I, I don't want to play a dusty running back unless I think I can. I, unless I think a dusty running back upside is is uh, useful to me. And I don't I don't think it is it in in the dog bowl. I'm not sure that it is. I'll, I'll tell you what I wrote. So I I like go over. I have some projections that I use and I aggregate and then make a, make kind of my look at what I'm going to be doing this week. And I looked at where Tony Pollard came in on my projections and where he's being drafted. And I just wrote some notes on how I was wanting to attack it before I dove into any. And my note on Tony Pollard was, am I really doing the Tony Pollard thing again? So that, (laughs) that tells you where I'm at on him this week. Right. And I I think his, uh, his, for most of the year, if not all of it, his projection will uh, be better than it's, uh, you being free in the dog bowl would suggest. Yeah, he's he's certainly not free this week, so it's like that's even more reason to, okay. to be scared. I mean, people. I think that people are are doing the the one last hurrah for Tony Pollard this week kind of thing. So, I mean, let yeah. me put it another way. I think I'd prefer Aaron Jones over Tony Pollard. I, I would as well. I have Aaron Jones pretty high this week. Um, not to <laughs> just give away all my alpha right away. I, I think I have Aaron Jones as like the fourth or fifth best running back on the slate. Make makes sense. I I think he he's he's an older player. He's still still clearly got the juice. Uh, you need to stay you need to stay away from the injuries and uh, to, to get that production from him, but still clearly uh performing. I got a I got an interesting one. Older player, a uh, little bit hampered by injury. How do we feel about Austin Eckler this week? Especially with I, I really look at Eckler and Keenan Allen's production as pretty negatively correlated to each other, right? When when you get Eckler out, Keenan really feasts. When Keenan's out, Eckler really takes a lot of that underneath type stuff. So Keenan's a little banged up this week. Um, what do you what do you think about Eckler here? Um, I think even even last week with the with the sort of good um point production, 
he he's still not actually playing that well. He is his expected point. He's, he had a monster workload in week ten, and but for someone who's been struggling coming off the injury at, at minus six and a half oh, fantasy points under expected, and to me that that's still a little bit of a concern that he's not quite there off the injury. But then on the other hand, the fact that he's getting a monster workload, the the uh, the Chargers know better than way better than me, looking at week to week sort of numbers, whether he's healthy or not. So I think that I, I think I'm more ready to buy the signal of Austin Eckler and getting the monster workload than the inefficiency. So to me, I'm like 90% sure that you should project Eckler the way you did in week one this year or this week. That, 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 I think that that's where I'm at. Note to self, don't fade Eckler in Yellow <laughs> Bowl this week. <laughs> um, I, I've got another guy that I just want to make sure didn't go under the radar for people that weren't uh, masochists like myself and woke up at you know 6.30 a.m. to watch the Patriots and Colts game in Germany. But, uh, I mean, if you're not past the trade deadline in your leagues, uh, please go try and get Jonathan Taylor the, like, the Zach Moss experiment is over. They, they basically like gave it all to Taylor and he was against a pretty good Patriots run defense. So he didn't, you know, explode out of the box score or anything, but I believe he got 23 carries and a couple, couple targets. Um, so yeah, like just truly elite workload. He had 43, 43% of the team snaps were rushes to Jonathan Taylor. And then, 41% of those snaps, he was running a route. So Pretty good. It, do, it doesn't get that. That's the CMC right at the top of the chart. It, it it literally doesn't get any better than that. Like he is an old school workhorse running back right now. Or, or was a, in week 10. So, so fantasy playoffs, fantasy playoffs are coming. Let's, let's throw a couple of these like really crazy role mixed with great talent guys here and i want you to rank them for me i mean i think it's pretty clear cmc is going away as number one so let's let's keep him out of the equation yeah but uh but let's go austin eckler who you're saying is you're thinking back to to full strength here um then let's go jonathan taylor and then let's throw an etn in there and then last, just to keep it interesting, we'll we'll mix in Brees Hall. So how do you got those four? Ooh. Ooh. Um I think I think I'm mm, that's really difficult. I think I'm between two and three. I'm really close between uh, Eckler and JT. Um and Part of that, like, if, if I was 100% sure it was week one projection for Eckler, he's, like, um, right. I think he, he's still decidedly ahead of uh, JT. Um, but give, I, I guess, given that I'm not quite sure, I, I, I don't think we can still be quite sure that he is. And the other thing that I think is important is that the with, with the with the you still have a sort of pocket passer for the Colts. So with him getting those rush attempts and then running those routes, 
then that is that that's actually something that I don't think JT has experienced a lot in his career. So to me, you actually do have outcomes there to, to get the true like smash hammer upside. And I mean, I'm still I'm I, I'm I'm being a little bit wishy-washy. I'm still really close between that and Eckler, where it's like a great quarterback with a very fantasy uh, friendly talent in Eckler, where he breaks out the big runs, he gets a lot of targets, he does a lot with his targets, and um, I, I I'm honestly I, I think that's I I don't think I can pick. After that, I think um, I'm having a hard – and then I have a hard time between – what's his name? Um, who's, the, who's the Jaguars? Etienne and Brees. Etienne and Brees, yeah. Where – Brees is definitely the better talent. He's clearly all the way back from the ACL surgery. But the Jets offense is uh, – we've just seen it in enough games now where – you have that risk where the offense just tanks Brees, where even though he's clearly capable of, of doing those large breakaway runs that give you monster scores, that and he's bet I think he's he's still better at that than ETN, but uh, ETN has um, ETN it does play for a better offense, and I think it's it, it, that's another one where it's really close, and then. Who was the other guy? The last guy? Those are those are it. So so okay. just to, to summarize, you'd you'd say CMC tier, then yeah. we've got Eckler Taylor tier, and then you've got ETN Brees. And th- that's kind of the, the top five. Yeah, I think that I took a long time to get there to like a pretty simple answer. Um, but uh yeah, I think that summarizes it pretty good. I, I think it's. I think the people like to to hear you talk through it and think through it. So I I certainly uh, was was glad to hear you do that. But uh, I believe that's everything I wanted to look at on this first running back chart. Did you have anyone else, or should we move to the backups? Yeah, I uh, I, I think that's a good call. Let's move on. And so as you said, it's the same chart except we're dealing with backups here. And you know that I guess that the the big question and um, with playoffs approaching and um, sort of like trade deadline stuff. And I know FFEC waiver deadline is coming up. I think Ty Chandler is like the story of this chart, right? hundred percent. Yeah. It's like, if you got anything left in the, in the fab budget, you can just, you know, if you're in a league where you got to like do the defense juggling in the playoffs or like it, like not FFPC where waivers close in FFPC. It's basically spend all your remaining budget on Ty Chandler is what I would be doing. Um, and then I for, agree for like home leagues where you got defense, or you might be trying to block your opponent from picking up a flex or something like that in the, in the playoffs, um, you know, leave yourself a couple bucks to do that. But like Ty Chandler is, is such a massive priority because the outcome where he is the Vikings lead running back for the rest of the season is relatively thin. You know, you got a decent chance that it's, it's this week. He's that because of the concussion uh, for uh, Alexander Madison, but there's a chance that he flashes enough this week and like earns more and, and just like, you know, t- they, they clearly weren't happy with just Madison. They brought in acres, right? Like they're looking for something else. And Ty Chandler got work early in the game 
looked good. He's looked good on the limited opportunities he's had this season. So yeah, very, very much Ty Chandler is the, uh, the highlight of this chart. The other- I, I, I'm glad, I'm glad you put it so strongly and because I think it's, it's sort of worth honing in on like the idea that you can potentially get a, somebody who can win a job the way that Ty Chandler could hear this late in the year before week 11. Like that, that's just, it just, it doesn't happen that often. There's a scarcity there. So even with this sort of downside risk that he doesn't get there, the fact that you have that upside makes him so, so valuable because, because of the scarcity. And yeah, it's just, it, it's too many boxes that he checks right now too, for, for like things that we want, right? It's like on a good offense, they're pass first. He is explosive. He has breakaway play potential, you know, in his outcomes, thin competition ahead of him. Like there it's like all, all systems go for like the type of guy that we should be targeting. And it doesn't matter that he's not, he's not going to hit, you know, like 80, 90% of the time, it just doesn't work out. And this, this specific season, this universe, this reality we live in, it's probably one where the Ty Chandler thing doesn't work out. But the small amount of times when it does, it's such a large gain for you that you make that bet. It's it's purely an expected value type of thing, if that makes sense. Right. And I think the idea that uh, the Vikings are just going to go back to, to Belkow, Alexander Madison, like I, I, I don't buy that at all. Like not at all. So I think that even in your like sort of like downside case, I still think you're looking at a pretty good shot at like a 60-40 with Titanical being the 40. And this being a valuable offense where you talk about the haves and the have not. Like your downside case being like a 30 to 40% guy uh, in a have offense, that that's not bad. Like for a zero, I, I think that's a zero RB start, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, I know that we have an FFPC team. That, uh, yeah, Ty, Ty Chandler would be our best running back. Um, right. And so, yeah, that definitely feel, feel strongly about that. And I I think that that's more of a, a game theory, like, call than, than a sort of stack call. Like, everybody knows that he was much more involved last week. He played well last week with Manis. He played – he played he, – he got the um, – he got the goal line touchdown before Madison had the concussion, and then he played more because of the concussion. But it, it, it's definitely more of a game theory call than, than a stat call. But still, want want to emphasize it. Yeah, uh, guys, other guys that I wanted to run through here really quick, um, just like providing an update on Ravens backfield watch. Uh, it, Keaton Mitchell is like doing the things that he needs to do to you know on unseat justice hill yeah it's looking like the most likely outcome here is disgusting three-headed monster type backfield where you've got an electric player in keaton mitchell that could deliver a splash play for you and make him startable i don't think the ceiling for keaton mitchell in any given week is ever going to get to anything that's ridiculously high just because the opportunity is going to be so stymied by this three-headed monster and the fact that you have lamar that could hypothetically take some rushing touchdowns or God forbid throw for some passing touchdowns if things break his way. But I, I think the most likely outcome is that 
all these guys, Gus Edwards, Keaton Mitchell, Justice Hill, get nuked. I mean, Justice Hill's looking pretty nuked. He, uh, yeah, it, it's not looking good for my boy. Um, it's just, yeah, Keaton Mitchell is like slightly smaller, but more explosive Justice Hill. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like Justice Hill is such a large back anyway that that's going to keep Keaton Mitchell off the field. That's They've got Gus Edwards to do big back kind of thing. So, yeah, overall, just quick update on the Ravens. The other spot that I wanted to touch on was just David Montgomery is showing up on this chart um, just because he's coming back from injury and had a couple weeks. You know, this is the rolling four-week sample here for these guys. Um, just the quick thing I wanted to say about the Lions backfield is like in season long, you start your line. If you have a Lions running back on your team, it is always getting started. The That team will score so many rushing touchdowns. It doesn't matter. You just play, you play. If you had both, you'd play both every week. You, you'd never decide like, oh, do I want to bench Gibbs and play Montgomery? Do I want to bench Montgomery and play Gibbs? If you had both, you'd play both and you will always play <laughs> whichever one you have on your roster. It's just too good of an offense, too, too good of a scheme. Like they want to give their running backs the red or the green zone opportunities. So it's just like a dream. And it, the other thing is like, this was so painfully obvious during draft season. Like I drafted a good amount of David Montgomery drafted a good amount of Gibbs, but I should have been treating this backfield just like I treated the dolphins backfield where it's like every draft I get one of these running backs. Um, Cause it's, it's just so clearly like the best rushing offense in the league. That offensive line is elite, elite. And they love to run it, <laughs> like, but their offense is good too. It's like not one of these love to run it teams like the Falcons, where it's like we love to run it and the offense sucks. It's like no, we love to run it and the offense is awesome. So just had to make my quick Lions blurb there. No, good, uh, good call. Do not forget about David Montgomery. And uh, so, saw a note here from Historical Anomalies. Not sure we do. Uh, we highlight these comments enough, so want to make sure I'm doing it. Uh, I think this is tr- true. Ty did have a touch, another touchdown call back in a flag, which um, hopefully that makes them more attainable this week on waiver pickups. Yeah, um, just that that triggered something in my brain to go back to uh, you know touchdown call back or narrow miss touchdown. Uh, Kyler and Marquise Brown had a, a narrow miss that they almost hooked up on for a deep touchdown bomb. And I think if that happens, you see you know Marquise Brown and Kyler being viewed a lot more favorably in the market this week. Right. Um, uh, so many people like Trey McBride is projecting as the best tight end this week, um, which I think is valid. He's been a crusher and we'll, we'll get to him. Um, but I think there's more fragility in that projection than people are, are willing to admit. And they're already, they're crowning Trey McBride and just saying like, yeah. And, and uh, you know, Hollywood's an afterthought when I, I think that they're, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it more when we talk about McBride, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. In, 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 interesting teaser, Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let, I, I think it's time to move on, on from this chart. And so and anybody, I'm always a bit uh, annoyed that, that we have two charts talking about running backs and then we have two more charts talking I know, about running backs. feels like a lot of running back charts. <laughs> Yeah, and I uh, want to make sure, I, I guess I want to make sure that where we touch on stuff here, it, it's stuff that makes more sense in the context of these charts than sort of rehashing points we've already had. Uh, I, I, any of those sort of things sticking out to you where 
Yeah, quick. Uh, just just want to say this so I remember it. Um, we're we're going to show the people how the sausage is made live on air here. What do you think about a chart update idea here? Might not be able to get to it before. Anyway, chart update. I, the year. I combined the last two charts into this. And for the bubbles, right now I just have them filled with an a random color to make it readable that guys are different colors. What if instead I filled them, they're all like a each bubble is a pie chart. It's still got the size reference thing for fantasy points over expected, but I have like gray or black for snaps they're not on the field. And then those same colors of green and gold for the passing and rushing snaps. And so we've got these pie charts or, or kind of like Pac-Man looking charts where the larger the black or the, the bad color is when they're not on the field. And then we've got those same, I don't know. Um, it I might be too busy. Glasses. <laughs> yeah. I actually I like I, I really like the idea of combining the two two charts. My and my thought would actually be if we combine this chart with a with a table on expected points and mm. fantasy points over expected, and that that way you can see where uh and and maybe you can have like if you want you can have like a table of rushing expected points and uh, receiving expected points. Then, then like a uh, fancy points over expected. So that way, that, that, I, I think that way you truly combine it all into uh, one chart. We we definitely have some food for thought there, but uh, I, I needed to to say that we'll we'll go back and listen to this part of the right. podcast and figure out how we're going to doctor these charts up. But um, looking at the efficiency chart here, um, there uh, we we've talked about this and that you know. These charts are stabilizing more. Of course, these are the the rolling four week charts. So, like for example, you can see Javante Williams really catching some steam here and moving up into that fifteen to twenty expected fantasy point, and, and rightfully so. When you look at his role that he had against the Bills last night, like that was uh, if you were a Javante drafter or you got Javante on your season long team, you're really happy with this development. It looks like a really strong role for him. Um, and he looks good. So that's that's pretty exciting. That was probably the biggest one that I uh, wanted to call out. The uh, the Gibbs stuff is going to be interesting. I, I want to see more data points with Montgomery back to see, because Gibbs got you know those two touchdowns this week. Um, one of them was in a spot where like I think a lot of the time in that scenario, that touchdown goes to Montgomery instead. But it felt like the offense was the, the team was trying to reward him for he had a big play that looked like he broke the plane. He just barely didn't get in and they kept him on the field to get the touchdown where I feel like a lot of the times when it's like, oh, we're at the one yard line where the Lions it's like, yeah, and David Montgomery's going to come in and we're going to run four times, <laughs> you know. So, right. I'm, I'm not sure if he ran a little hot and like he got a situation where typically he how, st how sticky that. is it that uh, Jameer was getting that sort of goal line touch? Right. That's thank you for saying what I was trying to say in a much more concise way. No, no, we're all uh, we're all trying to make it work. And um, other so, other guys. Uh, oh, sorry. Did you have anything to add there? Yeah, I I, I think that it, it it truly bears waiting and, and and watching for another week to see if that split holds up. I, I mean. I'm still sort of holding on to my prior that they want David Montgomery to be the main guy. Um, and, um, and, and, and 
I'm I'm guessing that I'm speculating that the injury and coming off the injury was a big part of the the split where at or Gibbs was getting the majority of the snaps and and the touches, but and def, definitely interesting that it happened and 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 truly worth watching to see if it continues. And I think if we get another game of that, then it then it, it's just Gibbs season. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, Casey had a, a comment that I want to clarify for people because um, these charts are not terribly intuitive with how we have them broken up. These running back efficiency charts and expected points, we split them into two charts because the sheer number of data points is so much that it would get really crowded if I combined them all. And so Rashad White is not on this first chart. He's on the second chart. The charts are just split kind of arbitrarily. It's evens and odds where I've ranked all the players based on expected fantasy points and said the guys who are ranked one, three, five, seven, nine, et cetera, the odds, those all go on one chart. The guys who are the evens go on another chart. It's just so the charts are a little bit more readable. But we'll touch on the Rashad White, Josh Jacobs discussion in a second. Um, we don't have a ton that we need to stay on this chart for. There's two quick guys I want to hit on. Uh, number one is Brees Hall. With the development of Michael Carter getting cut from the team and being right. the thorn in the side for Brees for the passing down, long down and distance back, I think that's a really bullish sign. You did see Dalvin Cook more involved in this most recent game, and Dalvin was hyped. Dalvin, and he was running hard, man. I honestly think that like for getting the most out of the player, like, was it smart to give Dalvin the contract they gave him? Hell no. Has he been good? Hell no. But this last game, like, you know, we're, we're getting out of the uh, the analytics world and into the narrative world here a little bit. But, like, the dude was trying hard. You could tell, like, he had a he ran hard on a run, got a good gain, and he got up and he was, like, yelling at the bench. Like, dude is fired up. He's, he's clearly a competitor. Like, he wants to play. He's not out there just to collect the check. Like, he, he cares still, you know? And so that... As as silly as that is, it does matter um, to this stuff. Like it matters to the coaches, certainly. So I don't think we're going to see, oh, Michael Carter gone, Brees Hall 100% of snaps. Now you're just going to be frustrated at the Dalvin Cook usage. But I do think that there is a little bit of runway here for Brees to earn more of that passing game work. And then uh, the other the other two guys are right on that 10 to 15 fantasy point border. They're both right about 10 expected fantasy points backs. And that's Jalen Warren and Brian Robinson. Brian Robinson with a couple long uh, breakaway you know receptions this last week. Don't think that's necessarily uh, repeatable. Um, but yeah, it's just he, he's like your your beautiful zero RB baby. Like if you drafted Brian Robinson on a zero RB team, my goodness, that's like everything you could ask for you know he is he's filling in your roster making sure you're not taking zeros you're putting up respectable scores a lot of weeks uh brian robinson turning into an awesome pick there even though you know the ceiling isn't so crazy he's splitting a lot of stuff with gibson gibson's getting a lot of high value touches still um but yeah i just wanted to call out brian robinson there and then jalen warren getting the official nod from the team as now he is the lead back on the team I think it's like, it's kind of like lead back in name only, right? Like, is it really that different than what we were already doing? Like, I know that he got a couple more carries this week than he had, you know, compared to his average touches. Um, so I think it moves the needle a little bit. But I think 
I think it was like, this already was the thing, you know, <laughs> like we just, right. we just put a label on it. You know, J- Jalen Warren and Mike Tomlin, they were talking before, but now they're officially dating. Like they, they just finally put a label on it, you know? Yeah. I, um, I think that they were already sort of cl- pretty close to 50, 50. And, and now they were like 55, 45. Um, Jalen Warren's gone from probably gone from the 45 to the 55. So, Maybe it, it, it means a little bit more, um, but like you said, they were already there. It, it's just them, them like acknowledging what was already reality. Uh, so let's let's flip to this next chart and take a little mental snapshot of where Josh Jacobs is. So he's about 12 expected fantasy points on the ground. He's got just shy of four expected fantasy points or right about four expected through the air there. So sitting around 16 expected fantasy points, and we'll do a little Rashad White comparison. What do you know? It's Dricko with an incredible call. They're the same player. Rashad White with higher expected receiving fantasy points. Now the uh, the the tricky part of, of that comparison is with Jimmy Garoppolo, there was a lot of a uh, lot of checkdowns to Josh Jacobs. Um, so I'm I'm wondering. How how sticky do you think, or, or I, I guess over the last couple of weeks he's had less expected fantasy points in the passing game? Do you think that's a trend like that we should be paying attention to? Hey, without Jimmy Garoppolo, Josh Jacobs' role in the passing game is a little lighter. Do you think it's just noise over the last couple of weeks? How do you think that shakes out for that comparison? Um, I mean it. It's hard to call, like. I want to say it, it feels it feels a little bit like the uh, um well, especially last week with um with the with the Las Vegas they they played it seemed like they played a pretty short game like pretty short shooty game so that that's one of those games where there's less snaps going overall so I think that will depress expected points. But let me uh, let me just pull up the uh, the, the week by week, and uh, sort of rather than. So, yeah, last week they had he had fifteen point eight, and to me that 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 doesn't feel terribly sticky in, in it being low, just because it was one of those games where there was a lot of rushes, both offenses being bad, so fewer snaps overall. Whereas um week so week uh week nine it was nineteen expected points and that's when they blew out the Giants. So he had a, he had no expected receiving points, but nineteen expected rushing points. And then um sixteen point four in week eight, fifteen point three, week seven, and he did have twenty point six before that, twenty two point six. So I mean it I guess it also depends. Uh, so it's definitely lower. Definitely feel that trend lower. I guess the other question is, is that because Josh Jacobs is um is is he getting a lower split? And I apologize that I'm sort of like figuring out the answer to this as as I'm talking. Um is is there somebody else getting splits? And I don't that's not really true, I don't think. It's not a. It's not that somebody else is taking off work from Jacobs. Is that it's that the offense has been there's been the, the pie that 
Josh Jacob. The this his percentage of the pie is about the same, but the pie is smaller. Um, and is that something that's sort of sticky? Um, I guess probably not. Like I want to say that that the um, the Las Vegas offense, they're going to have their ups and downs. Um, but they they also feel like a little bit of a have not offense. So I guess the answer is I. I I think I think I'm my get uh, not my guess from looking at the data. I think that it's more likely than not that Josh Jacobs' expected points coming down is more to do with the offensive situation than his role, and that should the offense get a more fantasy uh, be a fantasy rich environment, that he'll 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 still benefit disproportionately like he has previously. And but I guess you just have to see that, and and I guess. I think they are a little bit of a have-not offense, but they're not so terrible. It's not like they're so bereft of weapons that they will just be like, it's just going to be a dogmire the whole way. So I, I think you probably can expect um, at least one or two big expected point games from Josh Jacobs, and, and we'll see if he can convert those into actual big uh, point games. So so let's tie a bow on this, Rashad White, Josh Jacobs, because I think that was such an interesting comparison that you made. But I really want to analyze it through the context of this week specifically so that people have a you know an actionable takeaway if you're drafting dog bowls or you're you know thinking about it for DFS. So Rashad White gets the 49ers, who we just saw, you know, absolutely snuff out all of my you know 30 something percent Travis Etienne dog bowl teams from the last week. And they just they, they put they put a candle on that or they put it they put a cover on that candle real quick, and uh, Travis Etienne was was pretty dead in the water there. Um, you know the, that 49ers defense was very formidable against the running back position this past week. So you got Rashad White, who's not a great runner, going into that, but he you know a lot of his expected fantasy points are coming in the passing game where if they are trailing the 49ers, he's still he's not going to get game scripted out. On the other side of the coin, you got Josh Jacobs against the Dolphins. I believe I believe they're at Miami, um, but they they've got you know a, an opponent who could very much push them, put them in a negative game script. Now I know we've seen Jacobs kind of get um, game scripted out, which is weird given his involvement in the passing game. But what do you? What do you think here? Do you prefer Jacobs against a, a slightly more vulnerable Miami defense in, in a game that should there should be a lot of points scored on the other side? Do you prefer Rashad White against a, a very formidable 49ers defense? Also, probably a lot of points coming from that oppo offense there. This 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 truly feels like a gun to my head. Um I I I mean both of those feel kind of like gross, right? Um Whereas uh, 49ers, like you said, given the framing that they just slammed ETN down, um, and, and but I guess maybe with some further context is that like the 49ers offense hasn't been invulnerable. Like there's been offenses that have put up points against them. Um, with Rashad White, not like not a great talent. So like average at best talent. The Tampa Bay offense being an average of best offense and 49ers 
being an elite defense, I guess you you would lean the the balance of probabilities that they sort of like just crush them, and and then it's really I I don't I don't want to say that like Dolphins uh, defense is is just like a punching bag. I I don't I don't think it it has been, and um, but it's definitely not the 49ers, that's for sure. And so I, I, I think you probably do lean Jacobs there, whereas um, just I, I guess just because the maybe just slightly on defensive matchups. I mean, that doesn't feel like a great um, a great reason to lean one player or another. You like the defensive matchup a better because that that stuff is so it's so volatile, it's so random that like it can just be wrong. Um, but I think you, you probably do give a slight lean with them being very similar, being very similar, and um, players and, and 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 maybe even uh, offenses, uh, in terms of like your their expected points and stuff like that. That you probably just give the slight lean to to the defense, but uh, caveated with strong uh, price sensitivity, strong like ownership uh, sensitivity, so stuff like that. That like. If like Josh Jacobs was way more expensive than Rashad White, just because of, of a defensive difference, then it would be Rashad White. But in a vacuum, all else equal, would slightly in Josh Jacobs. Okay, and then let's just expand on that and say because it is clear you don't have a strong lead between those guys; they're they're relatively similar. It's more about price sensitivity. What do you think about Aaron Jones versus both of those two? You prefer Jones? He's he's got the Chargers this week, who just got ran all over by. Granted, the one of the best run games in the league, but that does feel a bit better, right? I, I agree. Yeah. You have the more explosive player, and, and I think he's just as important to the offense. They really don't like AJ Dillon, so I think I think that I think that's where I would go. Yeah, and then I'm I'm pretty sure you'll say Aaron Jones over this other player. Um, you you would take Aaron Jones over Saquon Barkley. I'm assuming without too much thought. Yeah, it, it feels right. But then Saquon in that Rashad White and Josh Jacobs uh, triumvirate of yuckiness. Do you have? Oh my God, you are just making me fucking die deep dive. Uh, make it making you earn it this week, Draco. I'm like swimming through garbage, like. I just d- d- dumped in the dive uh, in the dumpster. Dived in the dumpster. I dumped in the dumpster, and um, and I'm swimming. Um, I mean, am I allowed to say they're like they're those? Those are just truly all gross. And um, you need a if you're playing any of them, you need an awful lot of luck to go on your side, and that it's hard that that's hard to pin down what you want. Is is that too much of a cop out? That's that's fair. So, but I, I think the the takeaway that we can give people then is those three are kind of a similar tier. So maybe, yeah. Say for example, you're you're sitting there in the dog bowl and you aggressively attacked receiver early this week because, from what I'm seeing, that seems to be a sharp way to play this week. The way the slate plays out, and uh, you're sitting here and those three backs are available, and you could either take the first of those three backs. Or you could prioritize your quarterback or tight end. If you thought one of those would make it back to you, you, you'd be totally fine just taking 
whoever the market gave you out of those three. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. All right. I think we spent enough time on running backs here. Let's uh let's hit the You know end. who I who I want more than all of them? Devin Singletary, baby. Oh my god. You, <laughs> your Devin Singletary love is unparalleled. <laughs> and that's a little bit of a joke. Uh, I I I think that he's probably he's he's a, at least a lot closer to them. Assuming Damian Pierce doesn't play, I don't think he's any different in play to them. Wow, that's a like, that's a strong endorsement for Devin Singletary. I I I, th- I, I all I'm saying is I think he's in in that tier. Which honestly, it says a lot about. Um, I think it says a lot about what sort of what I think about that tier as well. <laughs> that's that's also true. So here we have the tight end utilization and efficiency chart, and when and this is our sort of starting tight ends, and we've sorted this by route percentage. And obviously, with the way different offenses use their tight ends, what you want is you want a tight end that's running a lot of routes, not having to pass block a lot, and then you also want you want the the tight end on a team where they're just using one guy all the time. Like you can you can have offenses where tight ends are involved, but if they split it between three different guys, it's it's not that helpful. So. Uh, that that's why it's it's quite valuable to see the uh, the routes as a percentage of team dropback, and then you want to see guys who are getting down the field targets, and um, much more helpful than sort of like short dump offs, and you also want to see what rate they're t- uh, they're getting targeted at per route. So targets per run is that percentage, and again, I I, I think. It's really interesting seeing Dalton Schultz sort of like catapult into the, the top uh, part of this chart just because it seemed like early in the offseason or, or sorry, later in the offseason and the preseason and, and even going into uh, the season, it I, I wouldn't have expected him to be like a true, true starter getting 20% targets per run, like 8.2 ADOT. Like that, that feels like Dalton Schultz belongs in like maybe like top six, top ten tight ends rest of the year. Yeah, uh, you know, I I know most people probably aren't gonna go back and unearth their own worst takes, but yeah, definitely don't go listen to like week one or week two of stat chasing where I believe <laughs> I said to the effect of if you draft a Dalton Schultz, he's a zero for the rest of the year for you. So don't definitely don't listen to that. Uh, yeah, Dalton Schultz's role has certainly grown uh, as the season has progressed. Um, I do think that he and Nico Collins are likely negatively correlated in that they both are operating kind of in that middle of the field, um, you know, quadrant. Um, and so I, I think that when Nico is active, it probably hurts Schultz a little bit. I would I would want to see. Um, you know, it's, it's too small a sample to actually even know this season. Um, but like, I, I would bet you that Schultz and Collins are negatively correlated. And so if I'm ever playing like CJ Stroud doubles, I probably, I mean, I wouldn't go out of my way to avoid pairing those two. Um, but like if, if there were other factors like a salary discount in DFS or an ownership discount or 
you know, major ADP differences or things like that, where I can, if, if I'm going for a CJ Stroud double, um, I'm probably having like a slight tiebreaker against doubling with Schultz and Collins. Um, just like a small little micro thing um, that could be totally wrong. <laughs> but but that's in, in my brain. That is, uh, that's how I'm viewing it right now. There's, there's maybe a slight negative correlation there between those guys. That makes sense. And and so I guess we should address our, uh, our cover boy here where you said that his uh, training bride, his, his very strong production last week is perhaps a bit fragile. Yeah. I mean, I do think that, uh, you know, we're seeing the breakout happen like 27% targets per route run is elite you know, 7.3 ADOT is very good, especially for, you know, it's not one of the highest ones, but when you get 27% targets per route run, doesn't matter. You can, you can have a much lower ADOT and still be a crusher. Um, this is actually what we saw early this season, like same targets per route run, similar ADOT, I think a little lower ADOT for Jake Ferguson. But this is what we saw from Jake Ferguson in the first couple weeks that kind of perked our antennas up for him. We're like, whoa, this guy, he wasn't running as many, he wasn't on the field as much as McBride. Um, but when he was, he was getting targeted at this rate. And so I, and Trey McBride looks like, you know, he looks like the real deal. So I'm not, I'm not trying to poo poo all over Trey McBride. When I say that the projection of him being the highest projected tight end on the main slate this week is fragile. Um, I, I just, this is the second game the dude has played with Kyler this season, you know, and last season, like, I don't think he played a ton while Kyler was healthy. I think he got some run, but like, you're still in a rel, you got a relatively small sample here of Trey McBride working with Kyler. And I, I don't think that it's a given that he's locked in the number one option on the offense. I mean, do I want right. to play, do I want to play McBride and Kyler stacks this week? Hell yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do it a lot, you know, but. I think in the same vein, you need to be willing to do Kyler and Hollywood. And I think even like, I'm trying to remember how cheap Rondale Moore is. I was like, I did a very early cursory look at prices on DraftKings. Um, but Rondale Moore looked, I think he's like, if he's not Stoneman, he's like 33 or 3,400 or something, I want to say. Um, and that's interesting to me too. Uh, so I think you just... I think attacking the whole game environment is interesting this week, um, but bringing it all back to Trey McBride, you know, rest of season outlook looks elite. He, he'll be a tight end one rest of season. Um, but I'm and, and just to acknowledge, we um, as soon as Zach Ertz went down, we called top six tight end and rest of the year, and not, not that we want to, but. Just to contextualize it, we we have been very big and bulls, very bullish on Trey McBride. That's that's good stuff, Drico. You got to mix our victory laps in there to offset my dog shit Dalton Schultz takes. <laughs> um, so we you know we just kind of got to layer those in. We're we're giving you the good and the bad here. Um, but yeah, we're we're clearly very bullish on Trey McBride. I got a lot in my best ball bags. I, I like he's very exciting for the rest of the season. I'm just saying, like when you get this level. We're, we're going to go through the Trey McBride irrational exuberance period in the market right now because he is the hot young thing. Like, just just watch, like, the lead up to this week, like, all the DFS shows and everything. Like, you're going to get some Trey McBride chatter, you know, just just wait for it. 
And all I'm saying is be willing to get a little different in the market. If Trey McBride is going to come in as like far and away the most common way to play Kyler this week, I'm just I'm willing to do a little little different. Not that I'm full fading McBride. Like I, I'm going to play a bunch of it. I just I think there's a lot of meat on the bone potentially with how excited people are going to be for him this week. That's all. Right. So you, you, what you're saying is you do actually agree with a high projection for McBride. Yeah, yeah, he should. I, I, like, there's good reason to be excited for McBride, right? He looks great. The role is great. Like, it's it's all systems go. It's just that when you get the market behaving like this on a player where they're ever in so comp, like Trey McBride's going like, I think I saw him go one, two turn in a dog bowl today. <laughs> like, Jesus. like, dude, Trey McBride is... You know, Jesus Christ himself, apparently, according to the market right now. Like, so, they fully expect him to walk on water this Sunday. So, the um, what, what's the hundred dollar contest that, that's the main small, uh, small field, uh, the single entry uh, on DK, the spy, the spy? Yeah, so what, what ownership would, um, would. Ooh. Do you think God, it's, it's so ownership? early and he's not like, he's not priced down a ton. I think he's a four, like a low 4k kind of guy, but 4,400, 4,400. Ooh, I haven't. And I haven't then is 58. Schultz is 5,000. Kittle is 64. Kincaid is 49. Oh God. You're going to, you're going to get, all right. I'll, I'll this, this is uh don't, don't have not, not your prediction. I'm not asking you to predict ownership. I'm asking what you think ownership should be. Oh, what should it be? Oh, yeah. efficient ownership for him is probably like in the high 30s, like I, I would say. Uh, so, yeah. so again, to bring further nuance to your point, you think he's a smash play. but He's a giga smash, yeah. <laughs> like the field is going to be so, so over on – a what is it actually like any 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 tight end game to game is fragile because the the way that uh, the way the distribution of their scoring often works is that they have the huge games they have like and then they have they can ha often have times have like smaller games and, and i'm not i'm not so sure that that's how it works for Trey McBride uh given how the like cuz i i'm looking at it here and uh, just to, to tie back to the stat chasing stuff, like he he was definitely not a starter until week um week uh sorry until week eight, and then from there his his rep percentage was eighty eight percent. His target rep per rep run was thirty nine percent. Week nine sixty three percent target uh, rep uh, rep percentage. Only 25% targets per run. And then last week, 78%, 32% target per run. So it's, it's, I, I think there is something there that as he's played more, his target per run has actually come in a little higher than, uh, than his full season stuff. So I think that he may, I think there's actually a, an argument to be made that he is a true, like, sort of ball hug. But when you're talking about something where the the sample size is still pretty small, that people are playing it as if it's like definitely that way, that maybe there's some leverage on it. That that's the point, right? Yeah. Yep. And 
just if you want a place where you could potentially pivot this week to get a another exciting tight end that looks good in you know in this tight end usage chart um you know could deliver a big spike week has already done it a couple times this season and you could also pair with a quarterback with rushing upside in a pretty condensed target tree offense i think playing cole Komet and justin fields in his first game back against a Detroit team that Detroit can score a lot of points. And so if you get a game where they're able to go back and forth, I think that the fields and commit route to play it. And then maybe you, you get a little, you know, even stronger leverage off McBride and play like a Hollywood Brown or a, a you know, full punt Rondale Moore at 3,300 or whatever. Um, like, cause, cause projections, yeah, Casey's on the same page with me here. Um, like projections wise, there's never in a million years that you could get to Rondale Moore instead of Trey McBride on on this Cardinals side of that game, right? Like you're just never getting there. And so if McBride really comes in as steamed as he does and you're looking for a punt play, I mean, Rondale Moore might be too thin. Maybe you got to do like a Hollywood Brown uh, in, in right. I mean, like low 5Ks for, for him. But the, the point is, there's ways to lever off McBride. I think there's other really interesting tight end plays on the slate. Um, and I, I think that you can pair it with another quarterback that could do the type of stuff that Kyler can do um, as far as his single game ceiling. I just I like having those onesie positions with the really strong correlation to their ceilings. Uh, you know, tight end and quarterback correlation is really nice with, with so much of their production oftentimes coming from touchdowns. So... Anyway, that's my my rambling bit on how we could potentially play the Trey McBride situation this week. Makes sense. Makes sense. So I don't think there's a whole lot other surprise surprising stuff here. Like the the, the the thing that strikes my eye the most is you're still seeing Michael Mayer um stuck around this sort of sixty percent rate. His um his target spread run like far from elite. So I think we 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 were on sort of breakout watch for Meyer, and and I think we should still be on breakout watch, but that de- de- definitely not there yet at all. Yep, like I definitely agree. Uh, is is a desperation start if that at tight end. Yeah, Meyer Meyer's just gonna be the random rookie tight end that goes off in the fantasy playoffs and everyone's like, we knew he could do it. <laughs> and he ends up being a good best ball pick because his spike week is week 16. You know? Right. <laughs> I, I see it in my mind's eye. Yeah. Um here, here here's hoping anyway. And, <laughs> and so I uh, unless you have any objections, I let's move on to uh to this the backup. Yeah, let's let's hit it. And oh my god, it it um, I I'm not I'm not seeing a whole lot of reason to uh, to stay on this chart very long. No, it's Jover for Irv Smith. Um, he's like not even running the most routes for the Bengals. So like, don't hate call. Just just for everyone, I need to. I'm saying this for me as much as for everyone else. We never need to draft Irv Smith again. There were lots of years where we did the Irv Smith thing because he looked exciting and injury derailed him. And, oh, this is going to be the year. Tight ends can bloom late. Irv Smith, ugh. we never need to do it again. We're good. It, 
this this can be the last time that Irv hurts you. So I just I needed to say that really for me. Just, right. a, just like a, this is a random, not useful to anyone except like the most absolute sick degenerates. But Lucas Kroll, um, Broncos tight end, actually like got on the field, did some he did the stuff that like you would hope a Greg Dulcich does and that he's, he's like running some downfield routes. They had him on a wheel route. Anyway, Lucas Kroll had like a, a full on zero gooser projection and like every projection source for, for showdown slate last night. Um, and it was one where I noticed just watching the game, like that's one where the projection, the people doing the people that are really good at doing projections didn't have this role um, that the Broncos clear, like this was a spot that the Broncos had in mind when they elevated him. Like we need this guy to do this thing. And for me, what it actually did was like, gave me a little bit of hope that Dulcich could deliver. I, I, I'm literally talking like one week. <laughs> like I might get one spike week from Dulcich when he comes back, but it looked like, I mean, this I, feels like a showdown uh, take. It, Exactly. That's really what it is. It's like I saw Lucas Kroll at $200 stone men projected for full gooses. And then I saw what he actually did in the game. And I was like, that shouldn't, it should have been like a one, a projection of one, you know, or mm -hmm. point eight. but it shouldn't have been zero. It should have been someone that if you're, if you're 150 maxing and you're looking for unique lineups, you should have played some Lucas Kroll. And I did not, but I'm like, I filed that away in my mental filing cabinet. So me. you won't have to file very long because the Broncos uh, host the Vikings uh, on Sunday night football this week. Well, so here's to hoping. So if you see, uh, if you see Lucas Kroll uh, catch a touchdown this week, you know, uh, you know, sacrilegious is dancing. <laughs> Oh boy. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all the time and mental energy we need to spend on this backup tight end chart. Don't need to tell me twice. Um, and so this, I, I feel like the wide receiver chart is another one where it gets uh it's pretty stable, but I see we have a new entrant here of Jalen Naylor who ran. Naylor? I hardly know her. <laughs> he, he ran 95 to hundred percent of routes, but is a true like he is like the the he is the president of the cardio club like he is the ceo uh i i almost i'm almost wonder if he's somebody that we should exclude from the chart we should we should exclude him from the chart for, but, uh, <laughs> Man, I was talking shit on Alec Pierce doing the wind sprint thing last week, and Jalen Naylor said, "Hold my beer, I got this. I'm the wind sprint king." Um, so yeah, Jalen Naylor, uh, you're only gonna see him once, guys. He'll he'll get excluded next week. But um, talking about more relevant fantasy players, uh, just uh, music music to my ears and warming my heart. Adam Thielen continues to regress in the fantasy points department. Beautiful, beautiful thing. You love to see it. Um, it was just so painful to watch the slappies getting there for so long this season. But it truly looks like he is coming back down to earth and not running hotter than the sun anymore. Got an interesting one for you. How do we feel about Deontay Johnson as a, a little positive regression candidate here? I'm going to be a little bit bold here and say that I think Deontay sort of belongs in the in the Aaron's targets doesn't score points quadrant of the chart. Now, this. 
like I, I want to preface this with saying I, I think he should be better than what is it, eight points a game. So I think you do have positive regression coming there. But I'm going to say again, I think that he profiles as a player who's almost always going to get strong targets, but underperform those targets. And it, it's just who he's sort of been his entire career. Or, or am, I, um, am I being a bit too grinchy there? I, I got to push back a little bit. He had a couple pretty good weeks here. Uh, I think he put together like an 18 point performance and like he, he had some weeks where you would have been very happy to have started him this last. Right. I'm not was, saying that he can't sport, score 18 points in a game. Yeah. I, that, mean, I don't think he's ever going to average above. I don't, I, I think it's, it's very hard for me to see him averaging like above 15 points a game. That's fair. A, that's a big yeah. stretch. Not that he can't do it for two games or whatever. That's that's fair. Yeah. So so let's uh let's pick some guys that are similar in uh in weighted targets per route run here, like DK Metcalf or Deontay. And it it has to be DK, right? I'm not so sure on that one. I. I so watching the Seahawks this last week against what's one of the worst pass defenses in the league. Like, yes, the the counting stats got there by the end of the game, right? But for a lot of that game, I I was just watching it, thinking, how are the Seahawks? How is the Seahawks passing attack this poor? You know, like there was a long stretch of that game where they just weren't really doing anything. <laughs> like, and and it's so split, like. Yeah, Tyler Lockett had a good game, but like, I, I feel like it's it's really just like DK, Tyler, JSN now are all like eating into the pie enough, and I I just Gino hasn't been very good this season. I mean, maybe you and this was the spot, you know, like Gino was was Pat's cover boy on his walkthrough this week. Like, I really loved the spot. I played a good amount of Gino and Dog Bowl. I attacked that game pretty aggressively, and. It, to me, I just, you know, in, in seeing it, I was like, I was left wondering if maybe the Seahawks passing game is just not very good. Um, and, and that's not to say that the Steelers passing game is very good, but it's like Deontay is earning so much there, you know, compared to like the splits for Pickens with and without Deontay are pretty stark. Like Pickens is really suffering from Deontay coming back. And so I'm just just a little curious there. But it, it's clear you prefer DK to Deontay there. What about Godwin versus Deontay? Um I think that those are those are pretty similar players. Okay. And I think Godwin is probably like if you're looking for a regression, you're probably looking at something close to what Godwin has been producing for Deontay. But it definitely feel it definitely seems like the uh, the Tampa Bay offense has been more functional than Pittsburgh. This is uh this is one of those interesting spots where for for me personally I really try to fade like any coach related narrative or like production adjustment that we're we're applying to players during the off season um, because like guys, the coaches take zero snaps, you know, like I, I've never seen Canales get out there on the field for the bucks and take a snap. 
But gosh darn it, like the Seahawks offense looks a lot worse without him and the Bucks defense looks pretty good with him. Like for, for what the Bucks are, you know, like I, I think everyone expected the Bucks to be like basement dwellers this season. Mm-hmm. And Mike Evans is out here doing Mike Evans shit, guys. And like Chris Godwin's suffering a little bit because of that. It's like so much heavily going to Mike Evans and less to Godwin this season. But it's like, you know, and you've got Rashad White with an incredible role, like very functional, like fantasy option. So I, I don't know. There, there's I, I guess what I'm trying to say is there are these outlier coaches or offensive coordinators where it's like, if you're able to identify the guys that are actual legitimate difference makers um, for putting their players in positions to succeed for fantasy, I think that's pretty important. And then for everyone else, you just need to not listen to anything that's coach related because it right. doesn't move the needle except outside of this handful of guys. I think it's it's like the it's like the A the, the ladder grade system you're talking about before. Like an A coach makes a difference and an F coach makes a difference, but the difference between like a B coach and a D coach is like it's almost nothing in terms of fantasy. That's I'm uh I'm I'm literally making a mental note of that right now because like going into best ball season every year I have like a Google sheet of stuff that I wanted to remember and I write down and I like go through sign kind of some preliminary rankings that I do before I I just like aggregate all the rankings that I use and then like use that to help me when I'm drafting but I try to get my own thoughts down first I'm definitely putting that in there you know A's and F's make differences. And everything in the middle, you can kind of tune out and just, it's, it's right. fine for those. Um, yeah. I, I, well, I, I, yeah, I, that, that's definitely been something where I found like pe- people get too, too fixated on like the stuff in the middle. Um, two other guys I wanted to touch on here. Um, I, I guess there's technically a third I should probably hit on, but, um, Garrett, two college teammates, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. Uh, Garrett Wilson, just from the sheer fact that, like, dude, imagine, like, imagine if it was anyone other than Zach Wilson. He's getting insane target volume. Like, he's catching balls that are just, like, horribly late or behind him or sailing over. Like, I, I don't know if you watched that, their game, but Zach Wilson sails him. It's, like, way over his head. And the dude just like jumps three feet in the air straight up. And it looks like a no effort kind of play. I, I had to go back and look at that replay. It's like, did he really, did he jump as high as I thought he jumped? Or was that like an optical illusion? He just like went straight up in the air after this entirely errant pass. Oh my God. Garrett Wilson is so good. Um, if the Jets have any kind of quarterback situation next season, that's not Zach Wilson. You can catch me drafting Garrett Wilson probably top six top seven overall uh like if garrett wilson's going in the second round i'll be 100 percent garrett wilson is what i'll say literally i will be 100 percent um don't don't care down if he's in the second round next year if he's in the second next year i'm 100 percent garrett wilson and, and and that's on the sort of the idea that Zach Wilson being the quarterback next year or, or anybody as bad as Zach Wilson is just like not a uh, just not a viable uh, it, it it cannot be true. 
Yeah, I mean, it, like, for example, if we're rolling into next season, and it's like Aaron Rodgers retired and the Jets say they're sticking with Zach Wilson, then I'm not 100% Garrett Wilson, to be perfectly clear. Like, but if it's anyone, if it's anyone whatsoever that is the quarterback that's at all, like, if ja- if Jacoby Brissett is the quarterback next year, right. I'm 100% Garrett Wilson in round two. Um, the, the other guy, Chris Olave, also got a... Uh, I hate to to trash on Derek Carr because I, I think he gets a lot of unfair hate. But man, Jameis Winston coming in and all of a sudden like making Chris Olave look like a real boy again um, does does kind of bode poorly for Derek Carr. So well, in fairness, Jameis is like a fantasy kingmaker. That's where, true. Like he he's so aggressive, he's so willing to throw the ball down the field, and over and over and over again that and. Eh, he, he does he he does make players look very good. It, the problem is when when he throws the, the the three interceptions in a game, and, and then the coaches don't trust him and, and whatnot. But did you, did you see his target to Rashid Shahid? In I want to say there were three defenders in immediate proximity, and James, I saw the one where he threw it all the way across the field to like At a. Perry. No, that was another. That was another sick one. That was like you never do this, but sick play, James. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, no, the Rashid Shahid one was an interception. It was like that is the. I, I've seen Jameis do that a million times in a Bucks uniform. That's what I needed. Inject that shit <laughs> straight into my veins. Like I'm here for Jameis Winston making god awful decisions, but uh, it's very fun to watch. <laughs> he is. A, he is. He is one of those players that makes football fun. Yeah. Um, but that definitely, uh, it's a little concerning that uh, Olave looks so good with Jameis out there. But at the same time, do do want to be a little bit cautious that Jameis is like he he is he's a true kingmaker, and I really hope for Olave's sake that Jameis plays a lot more games throughout the year. But I I to me it, it's maybe a small negative on on Kara, but not not, not a huge one. Okay. Um, those were all the, oh, my last, I'm going to hit you with a two second blur. Michael Pittman, um, just incredible role, tons of volume, looks really good. Downs was out this week. And so Michael Pittman just got it all, or he wasn't out, but he was pretty limited with the knee. He, he got, you know, a little bit of work, but nowhere near what he, he typically would get. So Pittman is just like going to forever be in that echelon of like, I would probably say like, I'm um, you know, matchup agnostic. I'm looking at him as like slightly better than Chris Godwin. Um, like probably in, you know, square, squarely in, I mean, shoot, it's just the guys that he's around on the chart. He's like right in that Christian Kirk, probably like a little bit lighter than Christian Kirk, um, you know, better than Jacoby Myers type range of player, but very, uh, very usable for fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Where he's he's definitely earned the consistently high target share, and that like last in week ten his target per run was like forty two percent. No, that's that's not nowhere near his uh, his uh, season average, which is twenty five percent. But that's a pretty healthy, pretty strong target per run. He is like he's definitely he definitely dominates targets for sure, and and. I think I don't. I think we should be keeping that in mind, uh, in future years. Maybe 
I, I want to be a little bit conscious on the price, but should, should be keeping that in mind that he is a target dominator. Yeah. I, as we, as we roll to the next chart here, I'll just say with the hindsight of seeing how this season played out and what we saw from Anthony Richardson as a passer, um, the, the Michael Pittman price just wasn't correct. This, you know, like it was way too low. We were, the market was over correcting for the risk of Anthony Richardson being a bad passer and undervaluing how good the role was for Pittman. And so that's just something that I want to remember for next season that if, if I'm getting, you know, like seventh round Michael Pittman, um, that's, that's one where I got to be willing to just say, Hey, it's, it's too many targets. Like I'm just going to take it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And in an, and especially in an environment where other receivers are getting priced up, and if if he's not getting that same treatment, it makes a lot more sense to take him. Yep. So yeah, like you alluded to, let's move on to uh, the Tyree Kill chart. Yeah, same way, same effect that we had on the last chart, but uh, the exact opposite, where he's so just far and away to top and right. So Tyreek Hill is the inverse Jalen Naylor. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> like Jalen Naylor uh, had um, – sorry, Naylor, I should say. Um, he had one target for for three uh, air yards. Tyreek Hill has like a million targets for a billion air yards. <laughs> and those – I believe those numbers are accurate, a million. Right. I, I counted. Yeah. Um. The the guys on this chart, I mean, like, so Tank Dell, graduate from the uh, the backups wide receiver chart or the low low route rate chart guys from earlier in the season, truly looking like a you know breakout you know rookie wide receiver, looking awesome, earned just an insane amount of volume with Nico Collins out this last week, wasn't able to convert it into quite as an impressive. If I told you that he was going to get fifteen targets. You'd be like, oh my God, did Tank Dell go for 40? But he, he, you know, a lot of them just narrow misses, wasn't able to hook up. Um, but you got to, you know, if you have Tank Dell in best ball, congratulations. That was a fantastic pick. I'm, my mental note that I'm making on uh, Tank Dell, small wide receivers and, and rookie wide receivers in general is the market isn't great at pricing these rookie wide receivers. Um, that, that end up getting opportunity on their teams like Puka Nakua, Tank Dell, you know, um, and extending it to guys like, for example, Josh Downs, um, like also was going really late, uh, Cedric Tillman going undrafted. And, and there in that instance, you had like too many guys ahead of Cedric Tillman, which kind of makes sense why he was going so late. But for guys like Tank Dell, where it's, a, I think, with Tank Dell, it was an ambiguous wide receiver core, just like you you probably could argue that for the Browns too. So really what I'm trying to get to is, number one, the upside of these guys is so asymmetric for the impact it can have on teams in basketball that missing on them is so painful that you really want to it, – it's so – so costly to miss out on that huge boost that you can get from a hit like a Tank Dell or a Puka that you really should make sure diversifying stinks when it leads to you being off of like, Oh my God, I could have had 
30% Puka, but instead I split it between some Puka and some Tank Dell and some Cedric Tillman and some Josh Downs, right? Like you're sad you diversified then, but like, let me just, you know, for, for the other side of the coin where I didn't get to as much Puka, you know, I got to a lot of Tutu instead. I didn't get to as much Tank Dell. I got to Robert Woods instead. And it's like, you really should just be willing to, you need to mix in these rookies that are free right. or cheap because the upside is so asymmetric. And then free and cheap day two rookie receivers. Yeah, they're, they're you, good you, you, yeah, you just got to take them. Like I'm in Ross and Brown. He was like the classic, like going free and so cheap. Even in an environment when receivers were going higher that year already. And same same with Tank Dell. Yeah. And, and like Marvin Mims, we all got so out over our skis and excited for Marvin Mims, um, which we'll get to more on the next chart, I guess. But, uh, you know, we, we were drafting him with so much more confidence than we were drafting Tank Dell or, or Josh Downs or Puka, right? And it's my, my other thing that I was trying to, to play off the Tank Dell thing is in the year that Devonta Smith came out, this was like early enough in the transition of the league where like, you know, the, the way that they were calling pass interference had, had changed at that point for a couple of years. But I still was in, my brain was broken to, I need the big bodied alpha wide receivers. Where's right. the, I need men. yeah, where's the 220 pound alpha that's going to throw guys around. I need him to box guys out in the end zone. And I, for that reason, I was like, I'm out on Devonta Smith. He's too small. It's just not going to work in the league. And now we've got such a track record the market's probably going to have been caught up to this so the edge is going to diminish but just I, i'm never going to talk myself out of a guy because he's too small anymore because i did the same thing with tank dell it's like he's too small he's not going to win i know that i was wrong about devonta smith for that but tank dell's even smaller than devonta smith so it has to be true this time that it's not a good idea but uh, just just throw the size shit out the window for wide receiver it doesn't matter anymore um you know, if a guy if a guy can play, he can play. Um, but just needed to get that rambling off my chest there. Yeah, I, and I think a, a way to think about it is that um, as the average size goes down, like for example, Jalen Waddle is one eighty five, and uh, Garrett Wilson one ninety two, and like no, those aren't receivers that we think of as small anymore. If like that's just like an average normal size receiver, then like the outlier bottom of the bottom of that has to be lower too like it used to be 185 like was the small receiver and and they'd be the outlier if they made it but no that's like that's like a normal size like even jamar chase only 200 pounds like obviously that's a big man but like he he i i, I wouldn't have taught him as like that that i'm surprised by how low that number is and definitely yeah something to keep in mind that the this the receiver size are coming down. Yeah. Yeah. Very, uh, very good point there. Um, other guys on this chart, uh, return of Debo. Uh, he had, he had some opportunities in the rushing game too, that, uh, you know, you like to see just, just for his overall upside. It's not that the rushing touches themselves are inherently all that valuable, but the way I look at it with Debo is he, he's kind of like, Debo's just a home run hitter in the same way that like a Brees Hall or a Kenneth Walker is a home run hitter, right? Where you're just like, 
I just want the the chances at like the big play to explode and and break the slate. And so Debo being involved in the rushing game is nice just because you, you're like, hey, that's another chance at a big breakaway touchdown type play. Um, Jordan Addison, I don't know if you watched the uh, all of the Minnesota game. He just he looks for real, man. Like I know I know I want to say his open score isn't the greatest. There's some other underlying metrics that like don't don't think that he don't look at him so so favorably like i i would say those, I, I, I i'm like i i actually don't pay a lot of attention to those advanced metric stuff because i saw that uh for example and uh, what's his name tyree kill yeah. his yards after the catch score is like low and they're like oh it's because when he catches the ball he's expected to go like 50 yards to the house and then like oh what about his open score oh that's not great either okay yeah. well Part of, I know I I read an explanation on those models and part of it was the distance to, so they're using player coordinate data. And so one of the features in the model is distance between nearest defender. And so with a player like Tyree Kill, where there's shit happening in a Tyree Kill play that doesn't happen anywhere else, it's like the model is fit for all this normal stuff happening. And then Tyree Kill's like, and I have 28 yards of separation between me and the next closest guy on the field. And so, yeah, it's just models are, every model is wrong, right? It's just like how wrong is the model? And so what you can do as an analyst is find those areas of fragility or weakness in the model and add context to that with like understanding what's going on here. And, and I think it's important to dig into the model, see what the features are, learn the weaknesses and fragilities. And then you can have those, like I think open score can be really valuable when you figure out where the flaws are in that model and how to properly apply it. And so I don't know exactly why Jordan Addison is scoring poorly in some of those advanced metrics, but I can just tell you, like, I loved him as a prospect and it's translating into rookie production and the dude just looks like he can play. Um, early, I'm calling my shot early next season. Jordan Addison's efficient price as a best ball pick is going to be late fourth round. And if he's going any later than that, I'll have a shitload of them. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, because he he wasn't going that much later than that uh, this year, right? He was like seventh round, I want to say seventh eighth. So right, I guess like, I guess that, and that's with the rookie with the the sort of like rookie risk where we haven't seen him in playing the NFL, and now we have, and he's obviously very good. So I I think that I think that's very reasonable. So you're saying my take wasn't hot enough? I should have said third round. No, it, it, you, 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 yeah, your your take was not hot. I got. I'm I gotta sorry learn, to tell you. I got. I got to learn how to spice these takes up. Um, <laughs> but, but then again, I, I react to news very aggressively, sometimes too aggressively. So it, it, it may not be. A, it's probably not like hot to me, but maybe to someone is like, oh, actually, like maybe, maybe to somebody else it is. All right, Drico, we have a prayer of coming in under two hours, and this last chart has, like, nothing on it. It's a wasteland. So let's hit this last wide receiver chart. There's only – there's really only, like, two guys on here that are at all interesting. And, and you know what? I realized the one that's the most interesting to me isn't even on the chart, but uh, Jaden Reed was interesting. I actually, believe it or not, had a Jaden Reed share in the dog bowl this last week. 
And I, I want to say that was a team where I had like four of the six pieces that I needed to, to be nutted. And I think I had like a Deontay Johnson for 2.2 on it that sunk it, but would have been so fun to uh, win another Miami ticket with Jaden Reed on there. He's the only guy that I'm seeing on this chart where I'm like, that's a guy. And, and Rashi Rice, we've talked about obviously already before, but yeah, he he's uh Jaden Reed is a guy that there's potential for him to graduate in my opinion. And he looks, he looks good. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if by next season, Jaden Reed is the best wide receiver on the Packers. And I, I, that's not a hot take. That's just the facts. Right. And yeah, definitely, definitely have enjoyed uh, watching Jaden Reed play well. Another uh, day two sort of pick (coughs) where he wanted to take some shots on with how cheap he was. And I am, I can't even, where's, is, where's Marvin Mims on this chart? He doesn't, he doesn't even qualify, man, because he doesn't run enough routes. So like we, I feel like the whole world was on the, they're coming out of bye week. Sean Payton did some self scouting. Marvin Mims is going to get some run this week narrative. And then he looks awesome returning kicks and returning punts. He's like breaking tackles, cutting back across the field on that kick return where he cut it back across the field and broke multiple tackles. I was waiting for him to get caught from behind when he was running horizontal because oh yeah, and there's a guy running after him, and like he was holding the ball normally. So it's like, please don't fumble, please and don't he keeps, fumble. I'm like, he's got to be going slower. He just broke like three tackles. Like he's gonna get caught from behind here, and he just refuses to get caught from behind, man. Like the kid is electric. Free Marvin Mims. Free Marvin Mims. I agree. This is why. This is why. This is. Wait, no, this that is. is... Why, this is why. This is why I'm hot. I'm hot because I'm fly. You ain't because you mad. This is where we at. 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 The grand same love is so we know. So we at. At the end of the chat. This is where we at. Step up in the club of champagne. We have a pop. Zeros with zeros and a chat. We are chat. The grand same love with our.